Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, Dr. Hondorp here, and really excited to jump into part two of my conversation with Dr. Heather Gunn. If you didn't check out last week's episode, make sure you do that first. We split this episode into two parts because we had a ton to cover and honestly, sleep, stress, and social relationships, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I believe are the main things that we're missing when we think about our health as a whole. So as a eating person, right, and my, my areas eating and weight and helping you understand your motivation behind that. But consistently, this is the part that I think is missed. And I think it's missed because, you know, it's complex and nuanced and really important, but it's hard to give like one, two, three steps and here's how you do it. But what I will say is that what we covered last week and today, I think is the combination of kind of the similar to what we do with eating. Like there's general rules of thumb that work for most people, but we also have to understand the context that all of our behaviors occur in. So if you are, most of us don't know the standard cognitive behavioral strategies for sleep. I never did until I did a six month rotation in an insomnia clinic. So I really never understood that, you know, what was most important about keeping a same sleep rhythm and what was the most important things to do. Does having my phone in the bedroom really matter? Does, you know, what's, what's the most key pieces? Is it having a bedtime routine or is it not having you know, a TV, watching TV an hour before bedtime. We're going to talk about what really matters from a behavioral standpoint, what really helps to associate your bed and your bedroom with a place where you are able to wind down and let sleep occur. Because with sleep, kind of similar to eating, the more you try to force yourself into a pressured situation, particularly with sleep, pressure and stress does not bode well for sleep, not surprisingly, right? So if you didn't, like I said, if you didn't catch last week's episode, make sure you do that. The um, link will be in the show notes. You can also find it at Dr. Hondorp, drshawnhondorp.com 
forward slash 32 for episode 32. For this week, episode 33, we're going to pick up right where we left off. And for this episode, we're going to just continue to talk about all the questions that I had for Heather and that I'm sure you did too. So we'll answer some of the questions like, do you really have to get your phone out of the bedroom? What does that look like? And how do you evaluate how important that is for you? how to promote sleep in kiddos in a flexible way, an autonomy granting way. So we, we don't talk a ton about kids on this podcast, but I had to get a kid question in because I'm sure I'm not the only one struggling with that majorly. So, and then we also talk about the question of what to do if you, you and your partner have very different sleep schedules and preferences and how that plays a role. And we really get into a lot more. So make sure you check this out. And I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. This is a slightly different topic, but I, well, a lot of you told me you did want to know more about sleep, but, and I know it's really important, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, If you can leave the podcast a review, you can leave your thoughts there, or you can email me at support at drshawnhondorf.com. You got options, but I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what your takeaways were and what you're going to do with this information. So as a reminder, this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as any form of medical or professional advice. All right, everyone, let's dive in. What are some, maybe even some like quick tips that people could do right now to improve their sleep or in general, and then also maybe in terms of if they are having some insomnia what they could also yeah. do in those time periods. I would say out not people who struggle with just getting sleep and not because of insomnia, <laughs> um, but because of just our 24 seven world. Um, you know, everyone is always worried. I'm going to say you take out no TV, no, take your phone away. And to a certain extent, I would say that the phone thing is a little bit true because it's just arousal inducing sometimes, but I don't think it always is that way. I have known people who, okay. So what I was going to say is for the most part, the general population, most of us just need more sleep. (laughs) Um, so that's the, the public health concern that there is that we just need more sleep. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you know, we have people with insomnia who don't get enough, but for a public health perspective, it's mostly behavioral. We just don't get enough sleep. And um, so I take the example of parents. um, And if I can use an example of for myself, um, that sometimes what you're just so need some downtime and some time where you don't have anything coming at you that like, it's easy to extend that to late. And then you're kids don't care. So you're going right. to get up at like whatever time the next day. Yes. Um, and that's a popular thing that I think happens, right? Because you just don't have any time for yourself. And so it gets yeah. like, where no, I want to watch this show. I want to do something fun for a little while. Um, and so one of the things that, that I would say is I think, you know, try to get as much sleep as you can but also try to build in other times during the day where you have a little bit more of your time. Um, and I will say mo- most of that is going to be from coming from motivation where sleep feels rewarding to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so like 
So how can it feel better to get it? And one thing that I think about is that sometimes I'll push that bedtime later because I'm like, well, I just need this time, but it starts this cascade of where then I don't enjoy my day as much, right? Because I'm yeah. getting sufficient sleep and I'm cranky um, or easily more cranky um, than, than another day. And so I try to just play that tape forward as I have friend of mine likes to say. And so like, okay, I'm staying awake. Um, is there something I can do that's like in between? So I would say that, I don't know if that's a quick tip because it's not really a quick tip, but from a public it's important health, though. <laughs> yeah. So from a public health perspective, I, I really think about when I start thinking about what, what can sleep look like at night, you can't do that without looking at your day. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things are not separate, right? Mm-hmm. These things are highly, uh, correlated and connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, if you think about your day, where do you have space for yourself during the day and where can you carve out time for yourself during the day? Um, because sleep is also for yourself. So that's to address yeah. That, I feel like those are the things like to me, the biggest public health issue right now is just not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's can certainly relate to to that and to and my daughter staying up really late, which I'm sure I need help figuring out. <laughs> we'll go to bed. But um, yeah, it's very that time is very precious. So I like that idea of building it, finding somewhere to build it in during the day and knowing that that's really good for everyone. Yeah. And I think the other quick tip is to think about when you sleep your best. And if you have flexibility, sometimes we have a little bit of flexibility there. Not, not always, we don't always have that. So, but if you sleep better a little bit, like some people have a feeling and this comes up like early bird gets the worm. There's so much out there that I'm, so I'm speaking to my people who are more inclined to be night owls. Now I'm actually not, I'm right in the middle, but, um, I feel like this group of people, not only like, do they, and it's more common by the way, to be a night owl than it is to be an early morning person, um, Mm. or at least to have the more night extreme than the early, early extreme. But, um, I feel like the world is kind of against them. (laughs) Um, there's all this, like, you know, you're, you're better if you get up in the morning. Like how often do we hear that? And I think you can really moral thing. What's that? It becomes like a moral thing. Like, yes. Yeah. And so people feel shame and it. And to me, I'm like, we got to fix that. And I'm sure you can relate this to like eating too. Like there's so much shame built around it. And so not only do you have this thing where the, the world doesn't operate on your hours or your preferred hours, but also there's the shame of like, what are you doing sleeping till nine 30 or 10 30? Mm-hmm. And I say that and my college students laugh. They're like nine 30. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's <laughs> early. We'll talk about noon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a nine 30 class and they all say, this is early. Um, uh-huh. but, um, I think that, um, one thing I will say is if you, if there is flexibility or just, if you can let go of that preconceived, like the world is telling you, you have to be a morning person. If you can let go of that, let go of it. There is yeah. no shame when you sleep, get sleeping when your body wants you to sleep is, is one of the best things you can do. And if you want, I can go into what happens if you can't do that. But, um, so I feel like those are common public health things that I run into, all of the time. Mm -hmm. That said, 
if you can, um, try not to extend your wait time on the weekend. So that's another quick tip for public health perspective. Like I mm -hmm. think a lot of us have that, have, have had this experience sometimes where you wake up later on a Saturday or a Sunday. And so that night it's harder to go to bed at your normal time. Mm -hmm. um, and so the other piece of advice I give for just typical sleep issues that I see, not like insomnia, nothing um, yeah. disorder going on is that there's a shift that happens over the weekend. So, yeah. So if you can, yeah, keep everything as close to consistent wake and sleep times on the weekends to weekdays. Right. Yeah. Um, you can delay your bedtime. Your circadian rhythm won't shift as much with your bedtime. So if you're okay with getting a little bit of insufficient sleep for a night. Yes. Okay. The wake, the wake time about that. is mm -hmm. the most important. Yeah. Yes. Anchoring the wake time, right. Is yes. more important for keeping a consistent circadian. Yes. I, I, I definitely took a lot away from our six month sleep rotation. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we learned a ton. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely try to, and well, kids are pretty helpful with that because <laughs> yes. it doesn't matter. They're getting up. Yeah. That's right. Probably no you matter what. There's no, like, there's no I'm just going to sleep till nine today. No, no, maybe, <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. And so with the phone piece, um, so yeah. that can be arousing, but maybe isn't like as crucial. It sort of depends because there's obviously like that can be, we were talking before we recorded about like dogmatic rules and how yes. unhelpful they are. And, yes. um, I recently did get my phone out of my bedroom and I actually feel a lot better, but I also yeah. took social media off my phone. I plugged in an old alarm clock. Like that's yeah. literally like an analog alarm clock yeah. and that's my <laughs> alarm now. And I really do find it useful, but it sounds like with anything, maybe like, I don't know if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, when I say to uh, students, like, you know, you can take your phone out of the room and they're like, what? <laughs> it's like, they're, I just think we need to accept that we're moving into times where that's going to be harder and harder to do as, as our phone becomes everything, our alarm, our lifeline, our check-in point. But so um, the concern about the phone are maybe two things. Um, one is that the, the things that are on the phone that make you mask sleepiness. So it be, I can be dog tired, right? Dog sleepy. I should say sleepy as opposed to tired. Um, so eyes are heavy. And then if I get into bed and I start looking up something and it doesn't even matter what it is, like I become obsessed with finding a lamp, you know, or whatever it is. And I can override that sleepiness pretty easily. Um, yep. and then especially if it's something like, um, engaging like social media. So that's one thing that I just say, you know, just look out for that. Like if you're feeling sleepy, your eyes are heavy and suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, 45 minutes went by. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one way that I think you're, you might be inadvertently reducing your total sleep time, right? Because yep. now you've done that. Um, um, and then the other thing that there can be concern with, with phone, but there's mixed evidence on this, but is the light. So the light from the phone, um, but phones have gotten better and people are getting better about wearing blue light blockers and stuff like that. Um, and that that can shift. Um, now whether shift your rhythm, I should say now, whether that shifts your whole circadian rhythm, I don't know that that's the only piece of that. So to me, that combination, if you know yourself and you know that like, it's, um, uh, like, 
you easily can stay up late, but also your masking sleepiness, that combo I think can be tough for the phone. So, but on the other hand, phones can be really useful for, I know people who listen to things to fall asleep. Um, and um, I know people who like might read an article on a dim light and that puts them to sleep. So like, if those are things are happening, then I don't think there's any rule that says you have to keep your phone out of your room. And that this is like the must do situation. Your sleep is terrible if you don't. Um, and so I would use it as a tool. Um, people use it for breathing exercises. People use it to listen to like calming podcasts. And um, in fact, if I am listening to a podcast in the evening, I've tried this before and it's before I really want to go to bed. Right. Cause if I go to bed at eight, who knows, eight, I'll wake up at like whatever, four o'clock in the morning, but yeah. um, I can't sit down and listen to a podcast or I will just like fall asleep. <laughs> So, um, which tells you a lot, right. About like when you're visually engaging with something, you can stay awake. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But so I think that's what I would say about the phone is that, um, use it as a tool if you would like, and that, I think that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. but if it is something that you were feeling really sleepy and next thing, you know, it's an hour later, I would say, try to, and I think the little things that they have now, I don't have, I, I was going to. Anyway, I think the little things they have like bedtime and that's kind of nice. Cause I, I will sometimes pick my phone up and it will be like, good night. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just not do that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and you can do the do not disturb mode. So nothing yes. comes through except for whatever you're using. If you are using it, I like that. I just, um, recently finished digital minimalism and we're looking at doing like a digital declutter in August. And, um, they, he talks about like all technology has use, but you just have to weigh the pros and cons for yeah. yourself. And so that's going to be different for like, I really am liking not having the phone. Cause I was, I, the thing, my thing with the phone is it feels like I don't have autonomy. I don't always feel in control of my behavior. And that to me feels very bad. <laughs> so yeah. like when I feel immediately compelled to open my Instagram, when I wake up in the morning, I feel bad about myself. And yeah. so <laughs> that's why I like not having it because yeah. And I also took it off, but even my, one of my emails is still on there and, and, or even just checking texts, like maybe I should just wake up for a few minutes and have no inputs. And, but that's for me. And that's going to be different for, for different people. Um, But yes, those are really helpful tips to remind ourselves for sleep is that not to override that sleep drive. Cause there are a lot of things on our phone that could easily do that for us because our phones definitely know how to engage us. They they know what they were doing when they designed those apps. Yeah. And then, and just to keep you plugged in. And on the other hand, you know, you make a good point about maybe I can just wake up without checking my phone. And sometimes I've recommended because the phone is alerting for people who are like really struggling to get up. Um, like we're, let's say we're, they have to shift to becoming more of a morning person. Maybe I would use the phone as yeah. something pleasant as a way to like start engaging with the world, waking up a little bit with daylight, you know, um, yeah. with sunlight to help them feel a little like, okay, now I feel awake. Yeah. Kind of anchor that wake time if they're trying to get up at seven and yes. they used to get up at nine. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Technology definitely has uses. It's not like all or nothing. So yeah, yeah. that's a good point. And I mean, we've been kind of weaving in conversations about autonomy the whole time today a little bit. And you and I love to talk about autonomy, but what are some <laughs> of the ways that you see autonomy playing a role in some of these conversations about sleep? 
Oh, that's such a good question. Um, um, you know, let me start with a relational perspective. Um, I, and especially I, I think with partners and with um, kids. Um, so let me start with kids because I feel like that's an easy one. Um, easy, haha. Easy in terms of like, um, <laughs> easy to, to talk about, not to do. <laughs> yeah. How much autonomy matters. Um, so I think that letting sleep come to you, um, is like this balance of like feeling like you have autonomy about when sleep, when sleep happens. Um, but also, um, um, not trying to, um, control it too much, like the balance of like having autonomy, but a little bit of self-control with it. Um, so the way I'll explain what I mean by that, but like when I see this with kids and, um, I think more with kids who are more verbal and have an understanding, but I see one of the important things with parents trying to help parents, kids, um, the parent kid relationship around sleep is the kid feeling like they have autonomy over going to bed, even when they don't really have autonomy. Um, mm -hmm. So weaving in for them at developmentally appropriate levels, of course, but let's say like a three or four year old, when you can give a couple of choices or even a two year old to a certain extent, give a couple of choices about bedtime and, um, weaving in how they want to go into the bedroom, weaving in what kind of book they want to read. So they feel a sense of autonomy over this thing that must happen. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I think that is an important part of feeling like it's something they feel like they can do. Mm -hmm. the, and, and related to that, the other thing is um, letting them you working on together, letting them figure out how they go to sleep by themselves or whatever works for your family. I'm not of the mindset that they have to sleep alone always. Of course, it's different with infants, but I know people with family beds and, and, but however it is you want them to fall asleep, letting them feel like they have a sense of confidence and autonomy and how that happens, mm -hmm. um, I think is really a, a super important way for them to internalize like, okay, this is my bedtime. This is how I go to sleep. This is how I wind down. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's smart. Some of that we automatically do and some of it we don't. And yeah, I might have to use some of these tips because I have a almost four-year-old who has very strong opinions about, um, wanting to stay up. And, uh, <laughs> we do give a lot of choices of like, and we watch a little TV before bed. So but then like, do you want to finish this or do you want to do one story or two and which stories, but that's an interesting point about, yeah, giving some choice and actually again, parallels to, to food because in, you know, food with kids, you parents yes. determine type and, and timing and kids yes. determine amount. So they have yes. choice within a structure and the yes. same thing with bedtime. So they have some choices within a structure of this needs to occur. Yeah. And you can't, no matter what, and I have had to remind myself of this, which is so funny. You cannot force someone to go to sleep. You yeah. Do it. it is like impossible. Um, and just like you can't force someone to eat, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so really letting someone have autonomy over how that happens within a range, right? Like, yeah. Um, 
But, you know, so like, for example, I think we think, oh, they have to sleep in PJs and they have to be in their bed or whatever it is. And there's been nights and where Benjamin's like, I'm going to sleep on the floor with the dog. And I'm like, no, you need to be in your bed. And I'm like, why do I care? And he eventually gets up and goes to his bed, you know, or, and one night he actually fell asleep on the floor and you know, and I'm like, that's autonomy. If he feels like he can do that, that's autonomy. But, um, so I think it starts there with like how you feel about sleep. And then, so the other contextual piece, since I do study relationships, but also with partners. Um, so a lot of times, well, I shouldn't say a lot of times, a fair amount, the type of situation I would see clinically is one person is a night owl. One person is not right. We don't match our circadian rhythms when we get married necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one person feels like they want to just stay up and the other person is feeling resentful that they're going to bed alone. Um, and for them, this is a time of closeness and just kind of togetherness, even if they're not engaging necessarily. Um, and so it becomes kind of a source of not having autonomy over bedtime and wake time. Right. And like, mm -hmm. I think that is like something that where sleep becomes a thing that people can really dig in on, um, mm -hmm. in a relationship. Um, yeah. and, and, um, so that is another time where I will, it's not really a couples therapy or anything, but I will explain the nature of sleep and try to like, it is true that nighttime is kind of like how we're socialized as couples to, to have some sort of closeness, like felt closeness. And, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and so giving people some freedom to figure out where else in the day can they have that so that someone who's more of a night owl and wants to stay up a little bit later can have that autonomy to do that. Um, and that not feel like they have to do everything at the same time all the time. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of that. Super important. And, um, yeah, I feel like we could do a whole another like episode about <laughs> kiddos and sleep and, and couples only, like there's just so much there and it's all so important. So I appreciate you sharing some, some yeah. thoughts about that. Um, in terms of our motivation questions that we ask for everyone. We'll switch gears to that. So what is one thing that you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So you do it for the inherent satisfaction of the behavior, like you enjoy it, find it challenging and or satisfying in its own right. Oh, well, I feel like, um, oh, this has changed. Um, but I can, two things come to mind, two types of behaviors. One of course is like, my friends. <laughs> um, yeah. And I wouldn't say I find it challenging. Well, sometimes it's challenging to find a time, but um, it can only be, it can be one of those things. It doesn't have yeah. to be all of them. <laughs> yeah. um, but I always, I almost always find it rewarding to connect with my, my friends and to connect, like have conversations, like even you and I are having now, like um, you know, we're not talking about like deep, dark things necessarily, but truly connecting. Um, I will always make time for that. I always do make time for that. And it, even when it's hard, even when it's like, okay, well, this person lives on the West coast. So I'm going to like stay up and talk, speaking of sleep, stay up to like, you know, nine 30 and see if I can get like an, or 10, 10 30 and have like a 10, an hour conversation with them at 10 30 at night, because it means that much to me. So, mm -hmm. um, 
I think truly connecting with people. I hate small talk. I think you and I have talked about this. Oh yeah. (laughs) Don't care about the weather. (laughs) No, (laughs) I hate small talk. I hate surfacey stuff. And, um, And so in some ways, I'm pretty much an introvert in that way, because I just don't like to, to, to have those kind of conversations, but I always feel intrinsically motivated for that. And the second thing um, that came to mind that I um, have just started to do over the last few years is baking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been surprised. I will like challenge myself to make like my own pie crust and my own. I mean, I'm not like anything fancy, but like I made a Swiss roll and like things that I would have thought would have been impossible, but I just like, we'll do it. We'll stay up late and do it or, you know, spend time in the middle of the day to do it. And I just find it incredibly rewarding. It's not even, it's not even the eating it really. Cause sometimes by the time I've done it, I don't even want to eat it. <laughs> just like I've heard that. I, it, yeah. Yeah. I've heard that, that can be the case for some. Yeah. So it's not like, I'm like, I can't wait to taste it. It's rewarding when it tastes really good, but mostly because I want to share it and I love creating and, yeah. and I am not creative in a lot of areas of my life. So I think that is something I have found later in life that I find incredibly challenging mm-hmm. and there's been some disasters. <laughs> <laughs> some Pinterest fails. <laughs> yes, definitely. Like I, I think I posted once somewhere and I was like, nailed it. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> um, and I even like brought it up in a talk. I was doing a recipe for like the recipe for sleep treatment or something. And I paralleled like my food explorations with it. And um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I even like put that out there, but yeah, there's definitely been some fails. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and in terms of this, like from a should to a choose to really what we're talking about is integrated motivation here. What's an example of a behavior that was always a should for you used to struggle to do, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently either because you value it and, or it's part of your identity, even if you don't always love it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Being on top of, (laughs) okay. I will say, I'm going to say this, but I figured out a way to do it because of Mike. Um, So not unlike baking where I will like make it happen and challenge myself. I am not that way about cooking. I'm kind of like Garrett. I will eat tree bark if it would like fill me. (laughs) And I have said to friends many times, like, I wish I could just take a pill. Like, it's not that I don't enjoy food. I I actually really do. So Uh something that I would be like, you're eating a bowl of peas and popcorn. So it kind of makes sense. (laughs) So something that I have grown from, like, I should prepare food for myself. I should eat this to actually incorporating a lot more is making meals and like feeling competent in making meals. And like, Mm -hmm. and a lot of that has to do with Mike because he is more structured about making it happen, but we kind of have a, a nice tag team going where I will find recipes. And if, as long as it's not too complicated, he will get it started. So he's like really good about like, okay, we're going to do this tonight at, you know, I'm going to make this tonight or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is something that has definitely shifted. And yeah, was it was kind of a, I should, it sounds like it maybe was a little bit of a should, but you're just like, I'm going to eat the peas and get through the day and it's fine. (laughs) I'm just like picturing you with, it's funny too, (laughs) because 
Garrett has a story from when he lived with like in Chicago of just like microwaving peas and like eating like plain piece of tilapia. And that was like his whole dinner. I'm like, that sounds terrible with no seasoning whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, there were some dark times and my, um, I just didn't love it solo. I just, especially by myself, I was just like, I don't, this, of course, with me, the joy in it. But I have come a long way. And even when I'm preparing meals for myself for like lunch and or or whatever, it used to be a should. And I used, that's a great, great example too. I would say I should bring my meals more because it just for a lot of reasons. And now I do. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a should. It feels like it's transitioned more to self-care. It's self-care. I have to work out a little bit more. Mm -hmm but it feels like something I'm nice. I'm doing for myself by making sure I don't really get super hungry and then go eat something I don't really like. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like the structure of having Mike around and having to have some like balance there and some encouragement to have a structure helped. Were there other things that you think helped integrate that into something you do more for self-care now? Um, and, oh, you mean just for bringing lunch or yeah, like things that help to move it from a should to a want to, or choose to. Yeah. You'll appreciate this from a self-determination theory perspective. I just put this together. I think it was competence, um, competence in preparing food that tastes good. Um, so feeling like, oh, I can use seasoning. I remember how this worked or or not. I remember I can learn this. Um, actually I read the book, um, uh, salt, fat, acid, heat. Um, I haven't, I don't know that one. Um, it's, um, she has a Netflix special too. It just, it really is like a remarkable way of like teaching people how to just the way she does it. She has so much joy around food and cooking and teaching people how to actually make flavorful food without always having to use a recipe. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just remember reading the salt chapter and being blown away. Like, I've been doing this all wrong. No wonder my chicken tastes bland all the time. Like, you know, anyways, so I'll have to check that out. And yeah, definitely. I'm totally with you on the competence because that's something that I definitely cooking was and remains at times a should. And, but I am over time doing more and more. And like, I don't really love reading recipes. Like I want to just be able to whip it up real fast and efficiently. And that takes time to build that confidence Yes. and like taking some cooking classes where I learned about spices, but I, I feel like I could do even more with that, but yeah, uh, competence, uh, of course. I yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I think you will really like this book because she does give you basics and, and, and recipes, but she's really encourages not that you have to go buy it, but she really encourages you to read through the book before you like dive in the recipes Mm-hmm. but I think you'll appreciate this because we've talked about rigidity too. also letting go and being like, Oh, well, this meal wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. That's okay. And that's hard to do as someone who has perfectionism in certain areas of her life. And, um, and realizing it doesn't have to be perfect. It's, it's food. If it's inedible, then we'll figure something else out. Yeah. So. That's a, having my heavy Garrett has helped with that. Cause he, will eat anything. I'm like, well, this isn't very good, but all right. Here we go. <laughs> At least someone's going to eat it. Great. <laughs> oh, well, um, what is the main takeaway that you want people to know about sleep and or their health? Oh. 
<laughs> sleep is important. That sounds so trite. Um, <laughs> Ta-da. I, yeah. Um, I would see, I would say that I, I'm biased here, but sleep really does rank up there in terms of like health behaviors is, is as important. I don't know that I wouldn't say more, but as important as the, all the energy we devote to eating and to exercise and sleep ranks up there with with that. And, um, I don't, I mean, I would never tell someone they should or shouldn't do this, but like, if it comes to exercise or getting like a sufficient amount of sleep, like I'm not going to cut my sleep short just to get up and be able to exercise. I'll find another way to move my body if I want. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's really important. And I think if people are feeling like moods aren't, mood isn't lined up well, it's not the cure-all for sure, but like mm-hmm. things are feeling off. And even on days where I'm like, why am I so like touchy? Oh yeah. Cause last night this and this happened and you only got five hours of sleep. Like, you know, yeah. not that you need to go like blame sleep all the time, but I think it's way more important than, um, than we realized. And And the other, the second part to that is consistency in sleep, I think is we're realizing is more important than we thought too. Yeah. So don't stress about a a night or two here and there. It's the big picture of consistent habits, doing things to get quality sleep. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I would just to echo what you said, um, I am a little biased and I also think that sleep stress and social relationships, all of which you intimately talk about are the main things that I think we underestimate with, with regards to health and health behaviors. And of course, like, I guess the psychological mindset related to our health behaviors, but that's the thing that I've seen is that diet culture has us obsessed with. It's all about what you eat. And even just the idea of like, when we study these cultures who have really healthful eating patterns and good health, we sometimes don't even look at the fact that their social relationships are really good and they're eating and relaxing and they are probably sleeping better than us. And so that's, I I also think is a very under focused on aspect of our health. So yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I agree. And one thing that came up that was positive for some a certain group of people with the pandemic, I feel like a lot of adults, the sleep with became really hard. And, um, but for example, like the virtual school, um, there's some early data that suggests that teenagers were for the first time in a long time, getting more sleep and Mm. more sufficient sleep. Um, you know, on the flip side, they were being isolated more, but, um, I don't know. It just makes us, it makes me think, like you just said this, I think not just like, Oh, get more sleep. Like what is it about our culture that makes this so hard to do? Um, and, um, and what can we learn maybe from other cultures that values, not just sleep, but just downtime. And, um, um, but we are, we're a grind culture a lot of the time. Oh, I know the hustle, the hustle mentality. I see some in the small business world, some uh, definitely, well, I also associate with people who are trying to move away from that. So I see some glimmers of hope and yet it's still, like you said, like get up at 5am, you got to do it. I'm like, yes, 
I'm not doing that. I'm not I, I actually think pretty well in the morning and I'm like, nope, no, I'm not, nope, not doing it. No, <laughs> I know. Especially because it's like, well, I'm not going to bed at nine. So how is that going to work? Right. right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And you, I think that's so important to, yeah, look at things from a broader perspective. And, and that's some of the cool research that you have coming down the pipeline is looking at, um, yeah, start times and, and looking at it from the perspective of underserved communities and how yeah. that's going to impact them as well. So I think that's super cool. We'll um, have you back on to talk about that in the future, but uh, oh, thank you. yeah, so yeah, we, we have to look at these things in a, in a broader way. And it's also something that you can feel effective with. I think that's an important thing to point out is that from a motivation perspective, dieting could be incredibly frustrating because it can feel very ineffective. Um, but this is something that though it's not always easy, we, we may have more control over. And in fact, just looking at like what we said about CBTI and, um, some things that you can do to bring down your physiological stress response so you can sleep, you could feel more effective in that area too. So, yeah, I like to tell people, think of your sleep, like your nighttime as like your little cocoon of like, what do you want in that cocoon that like makes you feel connected, loved, effective, competent, um, and like, you know, be mindful of like what you bring into that. Um, Mm. yeah, like, especially from a place of like security, but, but even, you know, even just like, what do I want to bring into this? What do I want to bring into this? Like little cocoon that I'm going to have for the next eight and a half hours or whatever it is. And, um, and how, how do I want that entering in? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I am not perfect, you know, and, um, and, and that's not the goal. That is not right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a great question to ask to pose for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like how do you, how do you protect that space and protect that time? And, um, and really it becomes like a, a thing of like, um, like, Oh, I, I value this and I want this for myself. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I already have some wheels turning about how I could continue to improve, but that is one of the things that has helped is taking away triggers to reminding about work for me has helped me to sleep better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Heather. It's been super fun. I knew it would be. Thank you so much for your time and expertise today. Thank you, Sean. That was really fun. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that part two of my conversation with Heather Gunn. Let's dive into some main takeaways from these conversations or from this conversation that I had with Heather. So these are really the main takeaways, the things that I think are most crucial to understand about your sleep. So as I've been saying throughout this series or throughout this these two episodes, and as Heather also said, I think one huge takeaway is that sleep, social relationships, and stress management, all of which were covered in this conversation, are critically important to your health and really very often overlooked. So how often have you sort of pressured yourself to get up really early and exercise because exercise, you have to be good, you have to be, you know, burning this amount of calories and I'm not saying getting up and exercising early is necessarily the wrong choice. It might be the right choice for you. 
only you can really decide that because you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of how much exercise helps you manage stress and all of those things. But this idea that that is the only way to, you know, improve your health is to make sure you're exercising five days a week for at least 30 minutes or whatever rule thing you're ascribing by. We need to look at these things more nuanced. And for many of us, myself included, many times sleeping in would be a better choice. Um, and Heather talked about the importance of understanding kind of your, your rhythm and when you get the best sleep. So I personally get better sleep in the later sort of like sleeping till seven. I do better and I don't always have that luxury, but when I do, I try to take it because I do know that sleep is really, really important. And so we need to start to look at, look at sleep and, and stress and social relationships into the equation. The other thing that's related to this main point is that we have to look at behaviors in their context, right? So, so often we look at our behaviors and we want to set goals and we want to achieve those goals or however we think about it. But the reality is we can't take the behavior out of the context it occurs in. And so often we do and we blame ourselves, right? We're like, oh, I'm just not disciplined and I need to be better with my eating. And yet when we look at their life, their life is really stressful or they're in a really unsupportive relationship where, you know, they're, the people around them are just not supporting them emotionally and, you know, probably most importantly emotionally, although support logistically is also important, like having help with the things you need help with, things like that. But we have to look at that. And I know we don't always have control over our context, but sometimes we do. And when we spin our wheels and we feel really ineffective, sometimes that is because dieting the way we typically do it is very ineffective. But, you know, health promoting behaviors are important, right? But we, that's why self-determination theory is my favorite way to put a framework or a context around these behaviors. If you're not consistently having your key psychological needs met of autonomy, freedom of choice, feeling competent, and feeling like you belong in your environment, then it's going to be really hard to make and sustain any behavior change. So we have to be looking at this. And this is true of, and this conversation with Heather really explained why, from a physiological standpoint, it's probably going to be hard to sleep if you're in a really unsupportive relationship. And if you're not getting good sleep, you know, nights of bad sleep are not the end of the world. In fact, overreacting to them will just probably make your insomnia worse. But years of bad sleep are problematic and we need to look at the root cause. And if that is a ton of self-criticism or a ton of continued stress and you need more support, or if it's a hostile relationship, your brain might, like Heather was saying, sleep is vulnerable. And so if your brain isn't able to realize that things are safe and that you can allow sleep to occur, then that's going to put a lot of stress in the body. So we have to look at these things. And I know they're not sometimes easy things to look at if we're talking about making a change in a relationship. I do not want to minimize that is incredibly hard, but it might just be the thing that is going to keep get you unstuck from your cycle of either ineffective dieting or trying to make some other behavior change in your life. The other main takeaway that I thought was really important is to make sure you're prioritizing where you can 
some downtime or connection with people in your life during the daytime hours because so often we stay up late in an attempt to give ourselves something good, right? Like downtime or, you know, some relaxation time or connection with a partner or a friend. And while that's really important, if we're consistently sacrificing sleep, that is something that, you know, probably is going to make us not enjoy our next day the mu- as much if sleep makes us irritable, which it often does. But also, it's something that we really need to be able to look at how we can give ourselves that downtime that it's it's a perpetual struggle for me, um, but it's an important one to keep it eye, our eye on. Again, we are all about effectiveness on this podcast. So the other main takeaway is that cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is really quite effective. And so if you are struggling with insomnia and you've never tried that, it's very much worth your effort to find a provider who knows about delivering cognitive behavioral therapy or CBTI. And you can do that by searching CBTI. I'll have to see if there's a, I think there's, you know, places that list the people that know the strategies. Um, But you might be able to find people like myself who, I mean, I went through a six month rotation. I don't do it all day, every day, but some people have some knowledge of it, even if they don't have it. I'm not listed on any directories or certified. It usually about four to six sessions of CBTI could significantly improve your sleep because what it does is builds up that sleep drive like Heather was talking about and figures out ways to retrain your brain that it can sleep and here's how to do it. They're actually building sleep competence really. So the other main takeaway though is if something like CBTI is not working, it might not be enough to overcome the underlying stress or issues with psychological safety or hyperarousal. And there's so many things that could be causing this, but like we were saying, sleep is vulnerable and you're, you know, pretty much not conscious, right? And so you have to make sure, like our brains have to believe that we are safe in order to allow ourselves to fall asleep and go through those restorative sleep cycles that our brains need to feel good. So this is really important to consider anytime you're going through a transition. And we talked about this episode too, about not overreacting. If you are going through a transition, temporarily you may get less sleep and that's normal. And that's probably something you're not going to have full control over. You can only control the things you can. You can increase feelings of calm and self-soothing and do the things you can do. But if there is an underlying root cause like perfectionism and a ton of self-criticism or a really hostile and unsupportive relationship, then we might need to address that root cause before you're really going to see any gains in a variety of areas of your health, truly. And then finally, we talk about autonomy and how much it matters pretty much for everything, but also for sleep. And so we talk about how this matters for kids, how this matters for adults. We want to feel a sense of competence and control. And to do this, giving ourselves choice within structure can be really useful. So as Heather was saying, for kids, this might mean saying bedtime needs to happen, but giving some choices about how it happens. I liked this idea of kind of similar to an eating where we do often recommend for kids the division of responsibility. So for 
parents. The parents determine the type of food and the timing. The kids determine amount. So again, within a structure, you can give your kids autonomy and that's gonna help promote long-term behavior change. And this is true for anything, but it's definitely true for sleep. So those are my takeaways. I know this was a lot, but like I said, I'd always, I always love to hear what you guys are thinking about this. And as always, if you're enjoying this podcast, it would be so helpful if you could give it a review. And that shows me what episodes you're liking and also helps people find the podcast. So before we finish up, did you know that if nothing slows the momentum, Amazon's going to have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025. So like you probably, I love the convenience of Amazon, but I found this super cool way you can support local bookstores and my blog and podcast simply by buying books like you already do. You can choose any books on or any bookstore on the list in US and Canada and you or you could also just let the donation go between all local independent stores. As of this recording, they've, re they've raised $15 million for local bookstores. On my bookshop link, you'll see my absolute favorite books related to health and wellness, courage and vulnerability, and I'm adding to it all the time. So if you're looking even for fiction or kids books, check out my list or just buy any book through that link, and that helps to support the show. Thanks so much for considering. Thanks for listening. You guys are awesome. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.